0: Time now for Alicast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment. Brought to you by Alibaba Group, we'll offer insights about Chinese consumers and brands doing business in China. We'll delve into global online retail, cloud computing, big data, and other must-know topics and issues in and around one of China's largest companies. I'm Adam Nadjberg. Chances are, if you're a smartphone owner, that you've heard that sound or something like it in the not-too-recent past. A cracked screen is inconvenient, and if your phone's no longer under warranty, it can be expensive and time-consuming to replace. That's where A.J. Forsyth and his company iCracked come in. Founded seven years ago on a college campus, iCracked has grown into a nationwide-leading screen repair company, operating daily in 600 cities around the U.S. iCracked's team of 3,000 technicians goes from house to coffee shop to office, They repair or replace screens on the devices that control so much of our lives. Over the years, iCrack has become both an expert at smartphone screens and a power user of Alibaba.com, sourcing its parts directly from China. Just ahead of Alibaba.com's Super September Sourcing event, iCrack's founder joins us on Alicast to talk about his company's past, present, and future. And he has some advice to offer small and medium-sized companies that are looking to get into the sourcing game. AJ, thanks for being with us on AlleyCast. Thank you for having me. I've heard that every company grows out of an idea. You have a founder who's trying to solve a problem. What was your idea with iCracked, and what problem are you trying to solve?
1: So we we started about seven years ago because I kept breaking my phone while I was in college. And at the time, there weren't very many repair options, and so I, I was going and paying $200 to Apple to have a phone uh, repaired or replaced. And I ended up having to do that one too many times and was kind of fed up with it. And so we, I ended up taking apart my phone the next time I broke it, ordering parts online and, and then fixing my phone myself. And I was on a college campus and there was, there was fortunately uh, about one in five students on the campus had a broken screen. And so I hung just flyers in local classrooms and people would call me and I'd travel to their dorm rooms and I'd repair their device. And it, and it started to, this real organic small business just on one campus fixing phones and the whole idea then morphed into hey what was working so well in this one city Um, how do we do that in every city nationwide so
0: what was it like in the early days when you were just handling things on a really micro basis on the campus when you're trying to source you said you'd go online and order parts where did you get them from how did you even know what to look for
1: When we started, if you, if you think back to, um, seven or eight years ago is the iPhone 3G, which, which fit in the palm of your hand. And when you'd break it. I, I used to go on uh, just on like any website in the US and I'd order parts so these are your Ebays and your Amazons and I never was able to get the quality of parts that I was actually looking for to be able to give a, our customers a lifetime warranty and after after kind of after ordering too many bad parts from these sellers I was like I think it's time that we go directly to the source and we we, we were a we were such a small company at the time I think our first year we we did around $70,000 in revenue and I remember Googling like I like in in the search box like iPhone parts manufacturers. I I just had no no idea where to start, and we ended up stumbling upon Alibaba, and and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing! This is a a treasure trove for individuals trying to start a importing directly from manufacturers. And we we ended up putting in a couple test orders for I don't know a couple thousand dollars at a time, and I remember it being very I was very apprehensive because I didn't know like who I was wiring. Money to I, I was following really my gut, and this was before trade assurance existed. Which had that existed, then we would have we would have done business probably so much more differently. But this was before trade assurance existed, and we would we would wire money to to suppliers or manufacturers we'd never met, and and we ended up always getting our parts on time and and actually starting to build these great relationships with them. And so in 2012, as our business was scaling, we had, we'd already moved the company from San Luis. California to, to San Francisco it, it became that time where we were we were about to hit a million dollars in annual revenue and and I decided that hey we should actually go meet our suppliers face-to-face and so I booked a one-way ticket to Hong Kong and ended up just telling the the couple suppliers we were working with that hey we're coming to visit and and now we have fruitful relationships with with about 30 different suppliers that we work with on a daily basis we have full-time employees in China now but it's, it's just amazing that it started from a Google search to finding Alibaba to having now done tens of millions of dollars in business with, with our suppliers that we met five or six years ago.
0: How does it work now? You talked about what you did on the campus in the early days. You'd go around, you'd, you know, you'd put up flyers. You have 3,000 people now who are directly or... Contracted to work for you and, and perform these services. Talk about what the repairmen do, and also can you talk a bit about how how you ensure that they get what they need?
1: We've had about a hundred thousand individuals over the last two years apply to be a technician with us, and so so how it works is people apply to be technicians with us. If they're accepted, which is about one to two percent of the total applicant pool, we'll do virtual training and hands-on training and and ride-alongs with existing techs, and then after after training is complete and the background checks are complete, we activate a software platform that if you think of it as like Uber for broken broken devices, where anytime someone breaks their device in the U.S., could be your Android phone, could be your iPhone, um, you can press a button on iCrack.com and we'll actually match you with your best local iTech in your area. Our iTechs then travel to our customers, so it could be your coffee shop, your home, your office, and then they'll do repairs in 20 to 30 minutes. And it's at, at very reasonable prices. I, I think our average repair is about eighty nine dollars to ninety nine dollars. And and then when when iTechs need to order more parts, they actually order directly from us as a company and through one of our distribution centers. We'll actually replenish their stock. So if they if they fix a iPhone six screen, we'll ship out another iPhone six screen to them. If you if you jump on our supply chain side of things, we we fix about. 32 different types of phones right now. And so that means we have to keep SKUs for a couple hundred different parts for all these little parts in these in these phones. And so we'll with the relationships we've built on Alibaba, we'll we'll leverage our manufacturers to build parts to our specs. They get shipped to our distribution center here in the US. And then our distribution center is is the hub going out to all the ITEX of a hub and spoke model. But it, it's a it's a surprisingly complex supply chain that has taken a couple of years to build, but it it, it literally Really started from from a couple hundred dollar order and a Western Union to to now a a, a international uh, supply chain operation, which has been crazy.
0: How many cities or locations do you operate in right now? And it's only in the states, right?
1: So, so it's only only in the U.S. and and then we have a retail operation in Japan, which is a whole nother story. In the last ninety days, we've done repairs in twenty three hundred cities in the U.S. But I'd say the I'd say the the we're we're, we're we're working in about 600 cities a day right
0: now. And when you say 20 30 to minute, 20 to 30 minutes to repair a phone, these guys, it sounds a little bit like the pit crew at the Indy 500. You know, they pull in and show up, and they just like you know, pulling the tires off, putting the tires back. It, that 20 to 30 minutes is is really fast because I remember bringing my phone into the Apple store and picking it up the next day.
1: Yes. So our, our whole thing is we're we're trying to reduce wait times. Like your phone is your remote control to your life, and going going hours without it, or or, or like heaven forbid going a, a day without it, I just think that's too long. And so we've systemized um, repairs where we, we did a repair at a um, at a conference in front of a couple hundred people last week, and and our tech had repaired the phone in six minutes and fifteen seconds. So it's it is if you know what you're doing, and and we've systemized it enough where um there's few to little to no mistakes while doing it, it it is a it's it's definitely a acquired skill or talent to be able to be as tech savvy and handy as our technicians are to be able to repair repair things quickly and conveniently for customers
0: speaking from personal experience how many repairs does it take for you to become sort of a mice, <laughs> mice maestro at repairing them and can this you do a blindfolded it?
1: great question. So we, (laughs) these these are awesome. So we, I I would say that you start getting really comfortable. You start getting really comfortable after you service probably 20 or 30 devices. We have tech, our full-time high techs that do thousands of repairs for us a year. I I mean, can 100% do this blindfolded. We don't, we don't recommend it though.
0: Not blindfolded. What, What was it like in those early days when you were trying to use the website to get what you needed apart from the fact that you didn't have something like trade assurance? What was different then?
1: It felt a, little bit more I think it was a lot more I don't wild west is the wrong term but it was it was like you didn't know what you were getting into and you didn't
0: I guess it should be wild east right
1: what Yeah, it was the, the, the trips I've been to China. It certainly can get can get wildies. I've I've since I've since gone twenty five or thirty times, and there I, I think this is it's not relevant anymore. But there's just so much uncertainty because when we would be ordering I don't know five thousand dollars in parts or ten thousand dollars in parts. That was that was literally our entire bank account where we would we'd be sending it in hopes of receiving something in return. the The great news is is we've we've never had anything negative happen we've never had like fraud or, or shipment of parts not show up. The But it, but it was a lot of like just trusting your gut and knowing if a deal's too good to be true, it likely is. And then just following your gut and doing your due diligence on on who you're doing business with. But but now there's a lot of tools that didn't exist back then that just give buyers peace of mind that they know they're dealing with. They, they know who they're dealing with and that they can trust Alibaba to, to vet their suppliers.
0: So you said that initially when you did this years ago, you'd make some Test orders. Even now, with all the systems in place, like what advice would you offer SMEs? Because you know, you at a certain point you were large enough and you flew over to China. What do you advise companies that maybe can't afford to do that? They're just like you are when you started, one or two employees, and they're kind of growing organically. How do you get that sort of peace of mind and make sure that you're getting the right source sourced products?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that you're you're looking at ratings and and like re- internal rating levels. So the I'm not sure that nomenclature you guys use but like the gold there, there's like different classes of suppliers most most suppliers that we, we were dealing with they look like they look very seasoned so we do reference checks we do a lot of like skype video calls so you're you're looking at someone in the eyes when you're when you're talking about about doing business and then i, I think it just comes down to what we call founder intuition where it's just you know the direction you should head in and you know if something's either too good to be true or, or you just feel like something's off like i, I don't I was, I was never too worried that there was anything negative that was going to happen. It was just it was just mainly like time and, time and money are your two most precious resources. So you just hope that you're allocating them to the, to the right relationship for the right suppliers.
0: When you're setting up your own supply chain for parts, which is essentially what you're doing to make this like a viable business, quality is one issue. But you also have price because I, I imagine, especially when you have a workforce, how, how big are you guys right now?
1: So uh, we have about three thousand technicians in the U.S. currently.
0: And in terms of, of setting up a supply chain that ensures that th- that they get parts, I'm guessing that that cost is really an issue, and, and not just the absolute cost, but the predictability of the cost, right? So how do you kind of ensure that your supply chain is secure that way? So
1: that's if, if you can find the answer to that, I'll I'll I'd love to hear it. The, I, I think what it is is you don't you actually don't want to be your supplier's largest customers. You don't want you you, you actually don't want all the dependencies that they would have on you if you're their largest customer. So I would I would choose a supplier that is robust enough to be able to be price competitive with what you're looking at. There is, there's, it's a fine line between being price competitive and when quality starts to deteriorate. So, another tip would be like, generally don't go for the lowest quotes. Like, I think my parents taught me that growing up when they were remodeling our home, where it's like, oh, no, no, you never go with like the lowest quote. Like, always, always go for the, like the middle, middle quote because you're at, at a certain point, you're going to start sacrificing quality to to save on cost. And then it, it just comes down to what you're what you're looking for as a as a small business. Are, are you trying to sell 10 million widgets at the cheapest amount, or are you trying to sell a quality product at at, at reasonable prices? So I don't. I, I we've never really focused on cost reductions too much, but but that's because it directly correlates into into the quality of product that we're putting on customers' devices. So I don't want to sacrifice the end customer experience because we're trying to save a couple cents or dollars here or there.
0: So I mean, that's the customer experience side of it. What about the supplier? experience. You talked about the relationships that, that you have. You, you kind of looked the person in the eye over Skype and you, of course, went to visit and have repeatedly visited. What was it like initially when you were dealing with supplier? And then what happens over the life of that relationship? You get your first orders in and everything works out. Where does it go from there?
1: So the, the I, I think there was, there was definitely some apprehension, just be, not because of the suppliers we were working with at all it was just more of me just being unfamiliar with with how to do, how to do business in the asia pacific region like there's there's just so many questions that i didn't have answers to and and it came down to really like learn by doing so we we spend just a lot of time building relationships doing some due diligence but it, it, a lot of the you, you have to keep in mind that the suppliers that we were working with on alibaba like alibaba is their lifeblood they do this they they use it to source clients all day every day like they're, they're generally not they're they're not they're, th- this is business as usual for them whereas being a small business owner I just we just didn't know what we were getting ourselves into so it, it was just a lot of learning learn by doing and and if we, if we made mistakes we try to learn from it as fast as we can and, and fix it is yes. as,
0: as I mentioned at the top of this podcast alibaba.com uh, which obviously you're, you're certainly familiar with it is, is holding its super September sourcing event from the 20th to 30th of September something that you would recommend SMEs participate in. How come?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the, well, there's, there's some promotions as a small business owner that it's, it's basically like free money if you, if you get on the platform. So I, I, I just checked out the website before, before we had this podcast. And I, I think there was a $50 promotion if you put it in order in the next couple of weeks. And I think like, I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's more capital that the business owners can allocate to their business. And then also just can get them comfortable with the platform and know that, Alibaba really has your back if they're if they're going to start interacting and, and start sourcing through it. So I I I wish that we had the resources that SMEs have have currently because it's just like Alibaba is there for uh, for small business.
0: Now back to, back to you guys directly. I cracked what what's next? You guys sound like you're a pretty dominant player in in this area. What do you intend to do with that? And and do you feel mighty when we go onto a platform and you look at what you're ordering now, what you're sourcing uh, from China? You guys are pretty. Big. So, where do you go from here?
1: So, we we ask ourselves that every day, and and, and in no means have we arrived as a business. We have. Like, I, would, I would love us to be ten x a hundred x, a thousand x larger than we are now. But when when we come to work every day, it's the the interesting thing is if you. I don't think anyone in our company gets is passionate or gets excited about necessarily doing smartphone repair. It's all about solving customers' pain points or or, or fixing customers' problems on site. And so if we look at what adjacent verticals can we leverage, one of the most valuable things in our company is this: is the tech network itself and having them be as tech savvy or as handy as they are. And so we, we actually are launching like smart home and IoT, which is Internet of Things, installation, set up for customers. And so if you think about if you go into a Best Buy, Best buy so if you, if you think about if you go into a Best Buy and you buy a smart home product, called, say a voice assistant, there's this massive gap between the time that you purchase the product and the time that it's actually set up in your home. So this is account creation, troubleshooting, um, figuring out if it's compatible with your existing systems. And and we want to be that company where with your digital life, it could be smart lights, smart locks, doorbells. We're going to be that installation arm. It's, I think that eventually it's going to look and feel a lot like how Geek Squad 2.0 should look in, in the 21st century. So what, what's next for us is starting to look at new verticals. We're actually starting to install smart locks, in, which are basically digital door locks. We're going to be launching that in about 20 markets here in the next few weeks. And so it's we, we want to be that company where anytime you have a problem with your consumer electronics, either needing something repaired or needing something installed, you, you press a button and our technicians are the ones that show up and, and just make everything just work.
0: Well, AJ Foresight, the next time my smartphone screen cracks, I know who to call. I'll push that button, and you bring your blindfold.
1: Yeah, that that, that would be uh, that would be awesome. You have you have my phone number now, so I'll I will be sure to be speedy on that.
0: AJ, thanks very much for being an Alleycast. I'd love to have you back again.
1: No, this is this is awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. You've been listening to Alleycast a regular podcast from the Alibaba Group. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Adam Najberg. <laughs>